Welcome to Chew Diligence. Lindsay Shively here in the 41 Podcast Studio with Jill Silva. Hey, Jill. Hey, Lindsay. How are you? I'm good. And uh, Haley told us last time, our intrepid producer who keeps track of such things, that we have done 20 episodes of Chew Diligence. I think... This is so exciting, and this is number 21. Here we go. I have been having so much fun. What about you? Oh, I have, and I love the stories that we've heard from all of the chefs around town and and the new adventures people are taking with food. It's been lovely. Thank you for going on this journey with me, Jill. I'm having a blast. Thank you for (laughs) inviting me. We were just talking about um, one of the guests on our uh, podcast. It was in October. Um, Some folks talking about fermentation. Yes, we were talking about it because I work out at Powell Gardens, um, doing some event planning for them, and uh, we have a big event coming up that has to do with fungi and fermentation. It is a day-long festival from 11 to 6 o'clock, um, right there at the Missouri Barn. It is Saturday, May 4th, and we have some really cool things happening, Lindsay. Are you into Fermentation after our last <laughs> go around learning about Copoint Meadery and the brewery. Kombucha. I mean, there's so many different aspects of fermentation. It's really cool. So there, so many foods are fermented. Let's go, let's go down the list. Many drinks, too. We'll yes. start with beer, wine, yes. cheese, kombucha, gojuchang, which is a Korean hot sauce, uh, you know, cheese, uh, kimchi, sauerkraut, goes on and on. And most of us don't even think about the whole process. So when you come out to Powell Gardens, we'll have all kinds of people doing demos. We have Kara Anderson, who's also been on a podcast with us. Yes. And is now at Sabah. Oh, she is? Yes. Oh, wow. And she's going to come out and do a vinegar cooking demo. So learn how to make some sauces with vinegar. Uh, Jonathan Justice is coming out, and he's going to be using Fair Share Farms fermented foods like sauerkraut, and I think they have some kimchi. Oh, wow. And all kinds of surprises. He uses them in the restaurant. Um, they're a local farm in Kearney, so that'll be a fun one. Um, we also have Anarum Thompson. Anarum is a Laotian chef, and he does the most fabulous food. Um, he is one of our chefs in residence this year, and so he's using our garden very extensively, and he'll be doing fish sauce oh. and fermented greens. Oh. Yeah. And then the brewery will do a 101 on kombucha and Great River Mushrooms, fabulous mushrooms, all the chefs are using them, will also be there to do a 101 class with us. So wow. come on out. Oh, and we have good food by Brett Atkinson of Indulge Catering, formerly of Wilma's okay, um, okay. food truck. So there'll be some mushrooms and some kimchi and some of the yummies that he's going to be selling. We have live music, um, so please, please come out. It's a party. It's a it's a party. Coming up Saturday, May 4th. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. I'm so excited. Just everybody cross their fingers for good weather. No kidding. <laughs> In summer, I mean, I get excited for restaurants around summertime. I think of the patios and all the cool places to go try and to be out and about and eat. A lot of people are talking about Plate getting ready to reopen. Yes, very exciting. So Plate, they closed a couple of years ago uh, after having a fire, and now we have an opening date. And Jill and I were talking about uh, what happened to Plate and how a lot of restaurants in Kansas City have gone through some kind of destruction, and uh, some of them come back, some of them open their doors again. So we invited Christian Joseph from Plate and Chef Calvin Davis from Freshwater to come on the podcast and walk us through what that was like, the journey to get back to opening the restaurant. So let's take you through what happened to both of those. Freshwater opened in April of 2017, and on June 17, 2017, a car crashed into the restaurant. A young woman, a 19-year-old passenger, tragically died in that crash. The restaurant shut down until May 2018, and it actually reopened in the same space. Plate caught fire on April 13th, 2017, and they were forced to close then. The investigation left the cause undetermined. The owners were hoping they could open in time for the two-year anniversary this April. They ran into some delays, which often happens, and so now we know Plate is going to reopen Jill on May 10th. I just talked to Christian this morning, and he said they were moving around tables and booths when I was on the phone with them. Uh, Yeah, and so when they were in podcast studio with us uh, a little while ago, they weren't sure when they were going to open yet. Uh, Jill, I don't know about you, but I just found it so striking how similar their journeys were. 
I heart wrenching journeys first of all, and then yes, I mean, just the um, the fortitude that people have to come back and to reimagine. So they were played as really reimagining what they were doing. Um, Freshwater, I think, has come back very much in the form that it started, but it was oh, true. You know, it was only a few months old at the time of the accident. So I'm just really thrilled that they can find the silver the silver lining here. A new beginning for Plate and Freshwater. Any chef or owner will tell you running a restaurant is a labor of love, but what do you do when something destroys what you've built, your livelihood, how your staff makes a living? So you think about restaurant disasters in Kansas City, Jill, and some names immediately come to mind. Yes. Uh, it's it's sad, but we, we're going to have to say those names. Yeah, we want to make sure we mention them. Tragedy at JJ's. An explosion destroyed JJ's and killed one person. That was in February 2013. Uh, Regatza, they just reopened in their new Midtown spot in March after a car crashed into it during renovations and a warehouse fire damaged things in storage. And uh, we wanted to welcome our guests to the podcast studio today, Christian Joseph from Plate, popular eatery in Brookside, making a big comeback after fire closed their doors two years ago. And Chef Calvin Davis from Freshwater, the Midtown restaurant, that spot really damaged after a deadly car crash in 2017. So both of you talking today about how you begin to come back from tragedies like these, from these restaurants that people well-loved. Let's talk a little bit about the menus at Freshwater and Plate. Uh, Chef Calvin, uh, congratulations on your semifinalist nom for the James Beard. Thank you very much. Fabulous. appreciated, yeah. If somebody hasn't been to Freshwater, what would you tell them about your food? Um, Well, the menu changes uh, basically every day. Um, No one's looking more forward to spring than I am because (laughs) we only use uh, local um, produce and really everything is is sourced locally. Um, So we haven't been changing as much over the winter because it's a lot of sweet potatoes and turnips. Mm. Um, But, yeah, um, coming into spring, yeah, going into spring and summer, it'll be changing. I mean, literally we'll change probably four four to six items every day. And it's uh, mostly a tasting menu. Um, which is 10 courses for $60. Um, and then we have different wine pairing options available with that. Then we also have our a la carte menu, which is divided into small plates, plates to share, and large plates. And freshwater, where's the name come from? Is that? It's a dual meaning. Um, freshwater, being local, we only serve freshwater fish. Also, we're a very neighborhood focused restaurant. So, freshwater is the first building block in a community. So, oh. neighborhood focused restaurant. Yeah. Christian, Plate was definitely a neighborhood restaurant. Yes, it was. Talk about the food you guys serve at Plate and will serve. So, you know, we started with a specific um, feel for our neighborhood restaurant, which was a small restaurant to begin with. We we had 58 seats. Um, we wanted to, you know, focus on a smaller, fresher, similar to Calvin's um, idea about food from Kansas City. We We launched this idea that, we were doing this Italiano Moderno or this modern Italian cooking um, type of feel. And what that meant to us was we were putting bits of Kansas City into Italian-style cooking. So very similar to what Minsky's is doing with a, with Bar- Joe's Barbecue or what Betty Ray's is doing. You know, we'd slow roast a pork shoulder, um, braise a pork shoulder, and put it in a fresh pappardelle pasta. And so we, we wanted to bring a little Kansas City to um, the Italian side of, of cooking. Um, our new restaurant, if you've heard, is is quite a bit bigger. Uh, we've gone from 58 seats total to 200. So we've grown up a little bit. We've had to grow up. Our menu has expanded a lot uh, to support more extended hours. We're open seven days a week. We're open for three lunches, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. When you open that amount of time, inherently you have to do things a little bit different. Um, we are still focusing on fresh local produce, fresh fish, similar to, to Calvin, um, putting our own modern Italian spin on that with a, you know, our, our hip, chic, stylish type of atmosphere. And that's um, grown up, I think, a little bit. You know, we had that feel at our old plate restaurant, but this, this one is definitely mature. You know, somebody made the comment like, oh, you put your big boy pants on for this restaurant. <laughs> and so that's, that's really how we feel. That's, 
we feel like we're coming back much bigger. Let's talk about uh, the journey that both of you guys have been on. Uh, Calvin, take us back to the day that the restaurant was damaged. How long had you been open at that point? We'd only been open for six weeks. Oh. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. I feel like I've known – this is the first time Christian and I have met. But uh, it seems like we know each other because the, it, we had, it happened so close yeah. in time to each other. And it's like, you know, everyone was kind of talking about it at the time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was like – my, I didn't get a call from any. Well, I got calls, but I was ignoring it because I was trying to sleep, and mm-hmm. I had the farmers market that morning, um, and so I didn't. The city didn't call me, nothing like that. I just saw a couple missed calls from friends. It was like, whatever, I'll catch up with them later. My dad comes and knocks on my apartment door. He's like, we got to get down to the restaurant. There's there's been an accident. Laura just called me my aunt. Um, I was like, okay, well that's bad but you know whatever i i was like it you know maybe it'll be two three weeks it's just some minor thing i'm sure um and then we get down there and it's you know it's like a bomb went off in the dining room it's just completely the, the front half of the building is just totally leveled on the dining room side and yeah i mean it was one of the weird times where i had no idea what was going to happen next i went back and looked at the some of the video and some of the um, news reports from that time, and there was a video. I'm, it was just so heartbreaking where you're talking about. I mean, you look, you look shell shocked. You look like you don't know what what's going to happen next. And you are saying, "We'll do it over again." But yeah, there's this this sort of dread hanging over that, and you're thinking as a viewer, "Will he?" This yeah. is just so yeah. heartbreaking. I could what? feel your heartbreaking. Yeah, I, I mean, I had to keep telling myself that to, you know, I mean, because I couldn't deal with, you know, anything else. So, and yeah, and the media was uh, not shy about coming to ask a lot of questions. So, how do you feel? Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We're very guilty of that. Yeah, um, which was fine. And, you know, I was willing to get out in front of it and, uh, and talk about it and just rip the band aid off. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we got back, so. But at that moment, I'm I'm guessing you really didn't know if you were going to. Yeah, yeah. Start I mean, over again. Yeah, it's tough to say. It's you're it's out of your hands at that point. You know, you have to deal with insurance companies and construction companies, and yeah. And is there a grief process that you have to go oh, through, sure. just sort of to deal with it for a couple of weeks or months? Yeah, I mean, I I I, I thought so for sure. I don't yeah. know about Christian, but yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, it took me probably a full month to really reconcile. Then I have to start over, yeah. all over again. Yeah. Okay. Right. And how long had you spent getting it open in the first place? Oh, man. Um, I mean, it was actually pretty quick, really. Um, it was less than a year. Um, from li- Literally from, like, someone told me at a pop-up I was doing, because I was about to go take a job at Alinea, and uh, he was like, you can't do that. You, you need to open a restaurant. This is just oh. ridiculous. Um, and then so from there, that, that was in September, and we opened in April. So that went from, from in, I mean, I had the concept in mind, but from actually putting the business plan together, getting together some money, um, and then going to the space and painting the walls, building the furniture, all that stuff. It's a pretty unusual space. <laughs> Tell me why, because well, the yeah. first time I came to interview you, and that was before you'd painted the walls or done mm-hmm. anything different, you have to find where to park and then kind of walk in the back door almost. Yeah. It's kind of like Waldo Tai, I uh-huh. noticed, has done uh-huh. that as well, <laughs> Yeah, um, which is nice to have a reference point for that now. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I mean, it's kind of funky because we let people come in the front door too, so our hosts, our poor hosts, just have to like meander <laughs> around the restaurant trying to herd people in. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, really the front door is the back door, and we did get some new stairs put in, which was great. Um but yeah, and it's just, I mean, to me, it's its a very like New York feeling restaurant. Like there's a lot of activity on the street. There's, you know, the tables are really tight. They're small. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just a matter of function. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And how long have you been back open? Uh, we reopened May 4th, so we're coming up on a year. Almost a year. Okay, Christian. Okay. Two years ago this month. Yeah. Take us back to the phone calls you got. 
Well, very similar to Calvin. I was asleep and um, my phone had been ringing, but I didn't hear it. Uh, I'm a chronic melatonin user. so. I, <laughs> um, and I, I woke up to my son coming into the bedroom at about 6 a.m. saying, you know, Dad, Michael, our neighbor, is at the front door. He said the restaurant's on fire. And I'm <clears throat> wiping the sleep out of my eyes, jumping up that early in the morning and thinking, okay. I, I need to get to the restaurant. And he, my neighbor said, I'll, I'll drive you. Called my wife. She was already at the scene. She'd been calling me since about 5.30. She was on her way to a morning workout when she got a call from our security company, ADT, basically saying there's a breach in your back door. Well, when she got there, she got there to, you know, a five alarm fire. There was, I think, five or six uh, fire engines. Um, it was big. And it was really, really overwhelming, completely surreal. I mean, you, when you walk up to a disaster like that, it's almost like you're, you're just viewing it through a lens. You know, it didn't feel like, at that moment, it didn't feel like my restaurant. It didn't feel like my people. It just felt like I was watching a building burn. And, you know, it, it, was, a, it was an interesting feeling. And, you know, similar to, to Calvin, you just don't know what you're going to do next. You know, you, you have support from your friends and family and, you know, the community rallied around us, you know, outside the building. They were, you know, putting their arms around us and we'll, you'll be okay, we'll be okay. But, you know, you really don't know how you're going to be okay. And um, I think that's, just, that's the scariest part. That was the, the, the scariest part for me was to think, okay, you know, I'm, I'm good at doing things and I'm good at making things happen, but I don't know how to clean up this mess and completely start over again where to start in the first place right how long did you calvin said about a month before you Mm. could wrap your mind around it what about you yeah we it was much longer than that it for us we had we had some co-tragedies in tandem we had the the fire that was happening we had um we had an insurance issue we basically we switched insurance um i think maybe a year after we'd been open to a, a, a customer that had come in a lot and said, why don't you let me do your insurance? We'd say, oh, sure, yeah, do, do the insurance. Well, we found out we were just severely underinsured, and we really had to stop. Everything had to stop. And, you know, the cleanup company, uh, any of the renovation, anything, we had to stop because there was no money to be paid to anybody. And that was, at that moment, it was, you know, we're sunk. You know, we, we really thought... We're, we're done. And if we do get out of this, it's very, um, it's very scary to jump back into something knowing that your whole life can be financially just taken away because you signed a, a bad insurance policy. So we had those things going on. We had employees that we had kept on payroll or tried to keep on payroll. And, um, you know, it was about October of 2017 that we really said we don't think we're going to be able to reopen. So it, it was about six months. So how long was there not going to be a new plate? I mean... There, yeah, there was not going to be a new plate until that the next June. So June of 2018. Um, I took my wife and kids out um, to Westside Local. We had lunch. We we're sitting in that back area on our picnic table. And I, you know, I told my wife, I said, you know, I really, I really want to do something. I feel like that's, you know, in me and I, I don't feel at peace if I don't do something. So I really want to do something. So we decided that, you know, we'll look into possibly opening the restaurant again, what that would look like. You know, we had a lot of conversations around, you know, it'd be silly not to do it because we have a chance to, you know, have lessons learned applied throughout every stage of the business. Um, so we decided to open and um, the way the universe works, about four hours later, I got a text from Butch Rigby. He said, mm. I know you don't want to open the restaurant, but you got to come look at this space. Ah. And you both had developers give you a call, as I read. Is that Oh, correct? sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, we weren't, we were, I had so much trepidation about going back into the original space because mm-hmm. I thought people would feel that it was unsafe, mm-hmm. um, which thank God hasn't been an issue. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I look. I don't know how many spaces I looked at. It was it was a ton. I got I mean, we got pretty we got pretty deep on several deals, you know, before something finally didn't work. And um, yeah, and then just going back to the original space finally just became like it was like while we were working on that, it was like the construction was being done on the original space. And I was like, oh well, it's back. It looks really good. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it for a reason, you know. Right. You know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the hood and the walk-in weren't damaged. So, um, yeah, it's funny how little stuff like that works. Was it important to you, and does it look the same inside? Did you want to put it all back? It looks almost identical. Really? Just newer, yeah. Comforting? And yeah, definitely. And you can tell I didn't paint the walls because I'm a really bad painter. <laughs> <laughs> Professionals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the IKEA furniture is very well put together. So. <laughs> we'll give you a call next time we need some help. You're right. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> the instruction manual, pictures only. Well, during all this time, I'm thinking the developer is contacting you, Christian. Uh, you're looking back at your space and thinking that's a great space, Calvin. So then, like the community also, were you still feeling that? You needed to come back because mm-hmm. the community, your diners, your neighborhood expected it. Yeah, I, for us, Plate's that Facebook was, page was nuts. Yeah, I mean that <laughs> that was a big thing for for us. You know, both my wife Andrea and I, we said, you know, we really miss the community. That's one of the the pieces to that puzzle that was really tugging on us to get back into it. Um, you know, we unfortunately we couldn't open in the same space. I think that that's a benefit to us now just because of, of where we're at, but we didn't have that option to, to reopen in that same space. Um, but yeah, we, we even looked at the plaza. We looked at the Houston space and, you know, there was a lot of reasons we decided not to do that. But one of those was we don't want to be that far from the Brookside community that, that really helped us become the eatery destination that we were. So we, we were adamant about going back into Brookside. Yeah, I had very similar experience. Um, Valentine and Roanoke neighborhoods. Um, I mean, 39th Street and Westport are right there, but they don't have any, they don't feel like they have any ownership in that because so many other people come there. Right. And so that was like the, they really, and they, you know, they've looked at this empty shopping center for how many years, mm-hmm. thinking, God, it'd be great to have a little place in there that we could go to. And yeah, now so many, I mean, so many people just walk to the restaurant who live in the neighborhood around us. Um, so yeah, that was a, and th- and that was most of our business the first time. Was there? Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Was there ever a point where you said, "No, this is just not smart. I don't care how much people love me. I've I've got to back away from this." And and you know, restaurants are risky, right, guys? I mean, aren't they? If I was smart, yeah. I wouldn't open a restaurant. I'm gonna say I still feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> Every day, I'm like, why Why am I doing this again? <laughs> I mean, I think it takes a, a certain kind of person, a certain kind of psychology yeah. that goes on with restaurant people. Just the fact that you can do it day in, day out, um, 365 days a year. But then to have a tragedy like this, you stumble and and like you're saying, you know, you could lose everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you might you might need to go talk to somebody about this, <laughs> right? Is this really a smart profession? You know, it's... It's incredibly daunting to to open a restaurant from scratch. I mean, you really have to be a jack of all trades. You have to um, you have to dive into so many areas that you might be unfamiliar. Whether it's licensing, accounting, legal, um, you know, food safety, uh, HR management. You know, you really have to wear so many different hats. And um, you know, I look back. I you know, with what I used to do was so specialized. I had one function. And yeah, I think to myself, why, why did I take all of this on? But it is truly a labor of love. I mean, it, it's something that I, I think about and I'm, I'm happiest doing it. And so, you know, maybe, maybe the ADD is not enough of a diagnosis for somebody like me. I'm just thinking about the, the old space that Plate was in. You guys had done a lot of renovation. You had, I mean, just knocked down the wall to move into that room next door, the yeah. wine room <laughs> in the basement. Um, how long ago, how long before had you opened that space? So we, we opened the extended dining room yeah. on March 8th. And so a month later it was on fire. 
So you'd made it your own, and now you're in a place where you really are. It's the old chiropractic college, right? Cleveland Chiropractic College, yeah. Full of cubicles and everything else. It was not ever a restaurant. What things are you doing wildly different with this space, other than the size, but even because of the fire, maybe? Yeah, I think that one of the things that is going to be different about Plate is our accessibility this time. And, you know... Somebody was, I was talking with a friend of mine and, and he made a comment. He said, you know, your first restaurant was a hobby that turned into a business. And this is truly a business from the start. And so that's what I think is going to feel a lot different. We feel, um, you know, my, my wife and I feel that Houston's left a a hole in Kansas city and we, we want to replace that feeling uh, in Kansas City, we we'd like to come back and fill that hole for for people. And you know, in in the smaller plate, the plate one, if you will, we we wouldn't have been able to do that. We were open for only five shifts, and we were you know we were happy to only serve that because we we really didn't have the capacity to do anything. We didn't have the storage. We didn't have the operation. We couldn't we couldn't hire the employees we needed because we just didn't have the space. So you know we're. It's a lot bigger of an operation. And I think that's number like number one lesson learned, I think, is, you know, if you're, at least from my perspective, if you're going to do this, go in 100%. And so, you know, that's why I stepped away from my employer recently and decided that I'm taking this leap of faith, being a restaurateur, and that is, that is me. That is my career choice now. So that is, I think that's the main difference is it's all of my energy, 100%. What did you do before? I'm very curious. I worked for a small local company called Cerner. <laughs> okay. So this is this is totally totally different for you then. Oh, it, it is. And yeah. you know, I so it's interesting. My son has said, you know, dad, you've had so many jobs, and it's true I have. And you know, I started in the restaurant business um while I was in college and I, I moved up into management and even worked with some very accomplished restaurateurs and, and chefs and, and really got a good understanding from there. I, I, um, that was in Salt Lake city from there. I moved to Phoenix and, and worked at the Phoenician resort as, um, part of their food, food and beverage. Um, and I learned a lot with a, with hospitality and with a hotel of that size. I worked with some local restaurateurs there, Mark Tarbell, um, and I learned, I learned a lot from, from that. Decided at that point that I wasn't going to do the restaurant business. Went back to school, became a, a healthcare clinician, became a respiratory therapist, um, worked at the Mayo Clinic, moved to Colorado, uh, worked at the hospital there, and I was recruited to the sales side of medical equipment, life support equipment. So I, got, I started selling life support equipment, moved to Kansas City, and Got a job with Cerner, got another degree in healthcare information technology, and went that route. Life support. I'm kind of liking this uh, <laughs> transition here, right? You, <laughs> you're taking your restaurant off of life support. It's going to be great. It's yeah. going to have a wonderful life. Yeah. <laughs> Calvin, what's, uh, you've been a chef for a long time. You've worked around town with a lot of uh, well-known people. Tell us a little bit about your background. and. Yeah, Um it's all I've ever known, really. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I grew up in restaurants. Tell people who you're yeah. connected to. It's My grandpa invented Casey Masterpiece. My dad and uncle ran the restaurants, so I grew up, like, you know, getting in servers' ways and wow. running around the kitchen and, um, you know, washing dishes at a very young age. Um, yeah, and then when I, I went, I thought I wasn't going to be in restaurants for a while, um, out of high school and uh, was in J school down at MSU, but then I was also running the wine program at a country club and started a catering company, and like I didn't take school seriously at all. Like it was pretty rare I was there, <laughs> so <laughs> that busy. was that was a waste of time and money. Um, and yeah, then went to CIA uh, internship down in Miami. Um, back to CIA, uh, and I spent you know a lot all the weekends in the city, staging wherever I could. Um, I found you at an unusual place the first time that I was aware you were in town. Do you remember Milieu? <laughs> Milieu. Yeah, that was that was an unusual place. Uh, that was my first real chef job. I was the chef opening Chef de Cuisine, um, and yeah, it was a funky little concept. And you were working French. with somebody very interesting at the time. Sean? 
Uh, I was thinking, weren't you working with Carlos? Of oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Carlos, yeah, Carlos was really? Carlos yeah. was the front Small of house world. manager. Yeah, um, yeah. Carlos is much. Yeah, Carlos is very, very interesting. I love Carlos to death. We've been friends for a very long time. So it was a French bistro by day, nightclub by night. <laughs> oh, I remember uh, talking um, about that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was interesting. Um, but yeah, and then after that, I went down to New Orleans uh, for a few years, a restaurant called Marty's, then back here, Graham and Dunn on the Plaza for mm. a couple years, and then, yeah, uh, was looking at Alinea, and then... When did you decide that you needed your own restaurant? I mean, this friend pushed you, obviously. I've always had it in the back of my mind, you know, like kind of formulating the the freshwater concept. Um, I would say that really started in New Orleans. Um, but even back at CIA, I knew I wanted a restaurant of my own one day. So, and not barbecue. And not barbecue. <laughs> Fine dining, yeah. it's uh, Although barbecue can be translated into many different ways, so. The, there's elements of it. So when Freshwater was closed, what were you doing? Were you cooking for yourself? Or you? Uh, I went to Boonville, Missouri. Um, actually, uh, it was kind of a connection through Gramps, really. Um, Bill Haw owns a hotel called the Hotel Frederick in Boonville, which is a really historic, beautiful 30-room hotel. It had a restaurant in it, and, uh, you know, he's not a restaurant guy. Well, he says he's not a restaurant guy, but he always seems to be involved in restaurants. Hmm. So, But I understand he knows it's not a good idea to run a restaurant. Um, and so he knew about the accident um, and was like, yeah, if you're not doing anything, come out and take a look at it. And, uh, you know, if you wouldn't, if you want to kind of take it over while you're closed, then it's there for you to do. And we did, you know, remodel the kitchen Brought in, actually, because he owns the Golden Ox, too. So we brought in the old furniture from the Golden Ox, put it in the dining room. Um, and, yeah, I was doing, like, a more casual, um, much much bigger um, restaurant um, that was kind of more focused on, you know, classic Midwestern food, but just, like, bringing it up to, um, you know, a restaurant level or a, a, a modern level. Was that cathartic? It was cathartic. I really miss Boonville. The The kitchen was so great. Like, at, being able to renovate it and really lay it out, and then it, like, overlooked the Missouri River. Oh, wow. It was just, like, very picturesque and had a ha- little house next door, and it was just, like, it was incredible. It was a great way to spend time not wrapped up in all the construction and everything else and just be able to let that kind of happen. Was there any sense that you would stay in Boonville and not come back? Kansas City? Or? Um, no, no, I was no. always coming back to Kansas City. Um, we discussed, like, maybe keeping both open, um, but that just proved to be too much. Um, you know, I mean, it's a lot to run two restaurants, let alone when they're an hour and a half away from each other. Yeah. And when, like, you know, as Christian knows, like, you, like a lot, when people come into the restaurant, they want to see me or they want to see him. So, like, it's really difficult to, you know, you can't be in two places at once, so... Now, I hear that there is a sort of a tribute, I think, your lounge. Let's yeah. talk Let's talk about the name of your lounge. Sure, sure. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting when you talk about um, the bistro slash nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, in my, I used to travel a lot to, to Las Vegas and, and to Phoenix. And, you know, I'm always um, studying restaurants whenever I, whenever I go anywhere, I, I, I try to eat at, you know, the place that the locals like and then what place is being written about. And, you know, I, I found when I went in Scottsdale, Arizona, that these restaurants that were, they were great restaurants, uh, as it got later in the evening, they kind of, they didn't turn into a nightclub per se, but they, they catered more to an atmosphere where you didn't feel like you were done eating and I had to leave. It kind of felt that you can kick your feet up and relax and the music got a little bit louder and it became more of a conducive environment to, to cut loose, have a few drinks. So, we decided to really piggyback two concepts into one location. So Plate being the restaurant and Fiamma being the, the lounge. And Fiamma means flames in Italian. So it's, it's our, it's our uh, thumb to, you know, the, the fact that there was a fire. So we'll just, we'll call our lounge flames and, and embrace it. <laughs> embrace it. And, you know, we, we thought in this area there, 
at least in Brookside, that there's uh, missing that upscale kind of nightlife atmosphere um, for young couples or professionals or, you know, maybe they don't want to go home at 10. Maybe they've got the babysitter until midnight or, you know, they maybe want to have a, a couple of drinks after and, and have a, a livelier, loungier type of atmosphere. So we'll be launching that after the restaurant. Uh, once we get our operations streamlined at the restaurant, we understand what, what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And then we'll extend our hours on Friday and Saturday night until one thirty. So our liquor license allows us to, to serve until one thirty. So we'll extend our hours. We're coming up on the two-year anniversary to the day, and you, you were really hoping that that would be big opening day, but, I mean, this this is a difficult process, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. So it goes. Construction is very unpredictable, um, especially when you don't control it. So if I could go back to when we opened our first plate, we, we did everything ourselves. 100%. It's of so much day. better, right? <laughs> like, I know exactly what you're talking about. And yeah, it's God. It's so yeah. Much you know, it's, <laughs> one, you know, one of the reasons we're in the restaurant business and we do what we do. I'm speaking about Calvin is we're, we're control freaks a hundred percent. I mean, and <laughs> we, we yeah. have, we have a vision um, and we have concepts that we, we want executed you know, exactly correct. And that's, and that's what we do. I think that's one of the hardest things to do as staff is to make sure they're executing your concept and your vision continuously. And when you build a restaurant from the ground up yourself, you're executing your vision. There's no translation. And, you know, the second time around, although I am so thankful to have a legitimate construction company, <laughs> you know, swinging the hammers and, and, and doing things because, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times we, we screwed up on something. But, you know, at that same respect, we don't have the control and we're at the mercy of a lot of different factors. And so unfortunately, this is a long explanation on why we're delayed, but we are delayed. We, we did plan on opening April 12th um, so that we could open on the anniversary of the fire. But that's not going to happen. But we, you know, we're still targeting the month of April and hopefully by the end of this week, I'll have a, a better date, but um, it'll be soon. Keep us posted. And you're going to have a patio. I mean, that we are highly sought after in Brookside. And yeah, and it is a very big patio. Um, so much so that we're, we talk about the management of the patio all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, right now we're, we're limited, limiting it to 40 people on the patio. We could certainly go more. But, you know, one of the things that we did differently at this restaurant in general is we didn't cram people in because we didn't have to. And I love what Calvin said about New York style. And, and you do sit right next to each other because... What he's referring to is the rent is so high in New York, you can afford a small square footage and you need to pack as many people in you that restaurant as you can. Yeah. <laughs> you, have to make, you have to make every little inch count. Um, we're lucky this time because we, we really had, um, we have a good business partner with Butch Rigby. Um, I can't say enough about him. He's, he's really great. And what he's doing for Brookside is, is it unbelievable. I was going to say, both of you, I think, is really fantastic. Like you talked about, it to a neighborhood that it wanted, that was craving that piece of that. And um, it, it's not necessarily the shops in Brookside plate. And, you know, the first plate was in this beginning of this outstretch of 63rd from Oak to Truce that really has started to blossom. Mm-hmm. And this building is just the latest part of that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of fascinating. Yeah, it and you know, Unbakery is doing just incredible. Um and you know, that's one of my favorite spots and and I love what they're doing. It used to be Messi's barbecue if you remember Messi's, they used to just do wings. And at that time when it was Messi's, that was been maybe 8 years ago. But when it was Messi's, there was nothing around there. And I think that that's almost why that didn't take off. Heirloom was the service station. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, well, in, in Kansas City in general, it's like developing at such an incredible rate. Um, and it's so cool to see how people are using these different buildings, mm-hmm. you know, like chiro- chiropractic college. Yeah. That's going to be a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I see it all the time. And I think I think it's so cool how, how everything's being repurposed. Um, and it's so like like when I even when I, you know, when I moved into – Freshwater two years ago, like I think there was like one other tenant mm. in that shopping center, and now we're at full capacity. And you know, it's 
it's really, really great to see that people are getting more creative in their, their locations they want to go to and that we are starting to expand those, those neighborhoods and uh, make them more viable. I think recycling, you know, and using old buildings is a great thing, but I've always heard for restaurants, the build out on something that was not previously a restaurant is, is very expensive. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that, Christian, because you picked something that obviously had no, no vents, no grease traps, no, (laughs) absolutely nothing. Um, so, you know, the building that we're in is a mid-century modern building, which, which we really love that style. And when Butch approached us, he really had a, he really had a plan for build out. Um, and you know, in, in reality, you know, the, the things that are attached to the building. And, and I know this because I've been through a, a, a disaster and a loss, but the things that are attached to the building stay with the building. <clears throat> and the things that, you know, like the hood, um, any built-in cabinets, any grease traps, any water heaters, any of the, the stuff that we purchased in the first go-around, any of that, that, that stays. And if there is a loss because of damage, fire, what, what have you, the building owners actually get credit for that because it is attached to the building. So Butch came to us with a plan for build out that made sense. And, um, you know, there are some things that all the aesthetics, the bar and everything that we're, we're handling anything that, you know, tile or, or the things that make the restaurant look good, we're taking care of, but the guts, um, Butch came to us with a plan to, to help us out. And <clears throat> I don't think that's, that's not a hundred percent typical. Any, yeah, you know, that, well, I was just going to say like when, I, there was a space I was looking at um, that it did used to be a restaurant, but it didn't have a hood. It didn't have a walk-in. And the landlord was, like, so adamant about, like, no, this is a clean white box agreement. Like, you're in charge of that. And I'm like, but you keep it if I go. Right. Like, I'm not yeah. going to pay for it. <laughs> right. right. And then, yeah, it was just, like, this whole headache and ended up, being like the crux of why we didn't do the deal is just that like he couldn't wrap his head around the fact that I'm just not going to pay for a hood and a walk-in to go in. It's just unreasonable. Calvin, were you in limbo with, you know, waiting for insurance to come in and all that? I mean, Uh, well, I mean, so I, it's kind of like the, it's funny that, the show's become like a lesson about insurance and the two ways it can go. Because I had a very different experience with insurance. I was very, very fortunate that um, when I was opening, an agent just dropped, uh, it was an article in Feast about us opening and a handwritten letter that just said, you know, I'm in the insurance business. I work with a lot of restaurants. Um, Give me a call. And I was like, hey, I respect someone who hits the pavement like that. It was a little more expensive than the policy I was looking at. Thank God we ended up doing it because we used every bit of that policy. Mm. Um, and so I, so Sam was on site, my agent, was on site the day of the accident and, you know, was huge in allowing me some peace of mind because he was like, "We this is covered. You are covered. This is taken care of. You know, we, we'll, we'll get this done. I got. I was able to pay my employees for six weeks after we closed, which I felt really great about. Um, and I mean, it did sit, take some time in terms of before they made a determination and all that. And I won't go into those details because it's boring. Um, but I, I always knew it was going to happen. I didn't have any question about you know whether we were going to what we were going to recoup out of it. So. Christian, it's still ongoing for you guys, right? Yeah, we're still not sure it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's, I mean, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine what that would yeah. feel like. That would be. Yeah, we. My agent never came. Yeah. Um, we we were really just left to figure this out on our own, and and like I said, when when the the, the crews came in and and started cleaning, we hired a, a third party company, uh, the public adjusters, um, because we. We just didn't know what to do, and they looked at our policy, and that's when they stopped all the work. Um, and you know, we came out okay after that. There were some things in process that were boosting our coverage, but at that very moment, we had, you know, close to a million dollar loss with fifty thousand in coverage. Oh, and 
you know, it, for me, you know, being a busy restaurant owner and, and, you know, building this from the ground up and those things are, they're just something you don't, you don't ever think about insurance until you need it, unfortunately. And, and, you know, I, I have a different approach on insurance now. Mm. Um, but you know, it's, it's something that you, you trust individuals to, to, to do what they say they're going to do and, and to, you know, to, to honor their craft, whether it's selling insurance or, you know, in the kitchen, you expect, when you go to a restaurant, you expect good food to come out. When you hire an insurance agent, you expect a good product to come out. That's, that's the way I look at it. And so, yeah, we didn't do our due diligence and I didn't read my hundred page policy when I first got it. You I have to wonder how many people do. Very few, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, they never, they usually don't have to think about it. And, um, yeah, it was funny. Like my mom came into town like right after the accident and she like took me out to dinner I was like, because she's an attorney and did insurance law for a long time. She's like, I'm just so glad mm. that you have insurance. Like, it was just so mm-hmm. funny. But, yeah, I mean, I, I could have been looking at the exact same situation because if Sam hadn't have dropped that letter in the door, I probably would have gone with, you know, whoever I found who was cheapest because I'm trying to save money, you know, yeah. opening the restaurant on a dime. Right. Yeah. So, and then, and then uh, you know, we I probably wouldn't have reopened if that was the case. Right. When you did get to reopen, I'm curious, what was the first thing that you were saying, this has to be on my menu or I miss making this in any dish that you really were looking forward to? Um, I mean, we we became really well known for soup. OK. Um, and it, it just like kind of became this staple that like everybody talked about. Like we. I, we sold like gallons of soup out the door to go. It was just kind of bizarre because it wasn't. I mean, you know, I, I, it's kind of a saying amongst cooks that I've heard that I really like, which is you're only as good as your last batch of soup. Um, but and it's it's just like kind of a style of where it's just like you know a pureed vegetable soup, and it's just whatever's seasonal. Um, but yeah, so that and it was sunchoke soup was the first real like. It was in a soft opening, and it was the one thing that everyone was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. And after we opened, we still had it on. It was the same thing. Um, and, it, you know, it was the same time of year, so I was still getting that, you know, same product. So I knew that that was, um, that was one that definitely was, was making a comeback. And it's actually it's on the menu right now because I was at the local food expo, and some poor farmer had 60 pounds of sun chokes that no one was buying. <laughs> no one knows what to Enter do with the Calvin. sun choke. Yeah, and I was just like, let's go. Load them up. <laughs> I love that. I need to go have some soup. Yeah. Did that the first time you started to make it again? I mean, what, was your, what were you feeling back in your kitchen? It was weird. It was really weird. It was, it was surreal. Um, it, but it felt like being home. You know, it was um, to be able to go back to the same space. And I even had, you know, my opening chef de cuisine was my sous chef. And um, I had one of my line cooks there and um, a couple of familiar faces in the front of house. And it just really, I, I can't, it's it's so hard to describe in words, but it just like, it was like all things are right in the world, hmm. you know, yeah. so. And so you didn't feel superstitious about being back in that kitchen and No. Um I'm not inherently a superstitious person. Um and really like like I said, I did have fears about about people's perception of the space being unsafe. Um but after talking with um one of my investors who's a, a very old college friend of mine, um, you know, just very logical and was like it was a freak accident, and if that's what people think and that's how we're going to go out of business, then that's how we're going to go out of business. But for right now, it's the quickest way we can get reopened. It makes the most sense financially. Like, you know, it's okay. You're doing the right thing. Hmm. Um, so, yeah. What's going to make plate two feel like home? What cocktail or menu item or anything like that do you miss? Well, you know, we're we're we missed all of it, and we're bringing a lot of – the similar items back on a, on a grander scale. You know, we're, we're doing a lot more in house. We, 
we bought three pasta machines this time. We have a top of the line extruder. And so we're, we're really looking forward to, to making all these, you know, fresh ingredients house. One, one of the things we're doing completely different, which I'm really excited about is we've, we've hired a pastry chef this time and we've hired a very, very good one. Well, who is reveal. it? Reveal. Yes, please. Dun, dun, chef, dun. pastry chef. Yes. Pastry chef. It's Nicole Vavra. You might know Nicole. She was a uh, Graham and Dunn. But um, we're very excited. She's, she's young, energetic, very, um, very talented, very creative. So we're real excited about that. I, did she work with Carrie? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And it, Carrie's great, too. They're both incredible. And we have, we have our executive chef, Brian Mel, coming back. Um, you know, there's, in my opinion, there's, and no offense, there's nobody better at running a kitchen than Brian Mel. Brian Mel is just as sharp as a tack when it comes to cost and, and, you know, chemistry. And, and he's just very, very good. I mean, he's a master of ingredients. And then we have um, our uh, sous chef coming back, Matt Ryan, and another young, very creative, very creative guy. And so we're, we're really excited about our culinary team. Our culinary team right now, I, I feel like we're going to be heavy hitters. Um, you know, can I can I ask like as um, you know someone who's in the business and I don't get to do this often, <laughs> uh, like how was the staffing process? Like because I consider myself <laughs> yeah. really lucky to be so small that like I don't need that many people and like because if I did I'd be very stressed out mm. about how my restaurant would be run. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. it's uh, so so this restaurant um, so much bigger. Yeah, we're looking at full staff. We're looking at sixty employees. Wow. Right now yeah. we're we're about we've got about I think we've got our management staff hired. We have Chris Mercer as our general manager. He was with us before. Um we've got PJ Vadovicki coming from Hogshead. Um he is going to be our our manager. We have Matt Ryan, we have our chef Brian Mel, we've got Nicole Vavra and myself. So the management team is set. We've hired I believe 18 people in the last 2 weeks with another you know, at least 20 to go before we open our doors. And that's, you know, that's another thing. When you, when your project starts to get pushed, you start to realize you've yeah. offered people jobs and you have no, you have no work for them to do. So it's a balancing act in that way. Um, but we, you know, it's, it's been stressful. The, as you know, the, the job market in Kansas City is interesting for restaurants. It's, it's so tough and it's something that so many people don't think about um, because there's so many new places that have opened. Mm. And there's, it's literally people can just walk out the door and go get a job across the street. Mm-hmm. I mean, that sounds like an exaggeration. Like but servers, on the plaza, servers, cooks, cooks and most, dishwashers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but on the plaza, that's literally true, and I've literally seen it happen. Mm-hmm. I have chefs asking me all the time, <laughs> line on any, you know, and I yeah. see it on the on the work boards, the restaurant boards, uh, you know. That's been going on for, I would say, a year and a half, almost two years, that people have been saying they cannot find enough mm-hmm. people yeah. to keep the staff in the kitchen going. Yeah. We were, we were turning people away at our first restaurant. You know, that was – we concepted it in, in 2014. We opened in 2015. And at that time, we literally were, sorry, we don't have a position for you. Now we're – we're just we're begging anybody. We've even gone as far to say, hey, if you don't have restaurant experience but you have customer service experience, come and talk to us. If you have a yeah. good work ethic, yeah, that's come, all I care right? about. Come and yeah. talk come and talk to us. You yeah. can teach them, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's sometimes and sometimes it's it's better to have <clears throat> excuse me, someone who doesn't have the background because you don't have to, you know, mm. untrain bad habits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I've had a lot of success with People who've never done the job before, and just you know, teaching them how to do it correctly. What's the turnover? Because I mean, I think already I've noticed some people have come and left yeah. fresh water. I would say that um, we have probably slightly under average turnover. Um, you know, we've had we have probably half this, a third of the staff now has been there since the beginning. Um, which I think is is really great, and you know the people who have left have gone on to do other great things. Um, you know we've had a couple of tough firings in there, as anybody does, and you know in a small restaurant it's so magnified because yeah. you know you know I have what you know maybe fourteen employees, so um, it's just a lot closer, and um, so all those things kind of get magnified a little bit more. 
But um, like I was saying, like, you know, training people, my our, our um, garmage chef and he bakes is kind of our lead baker now as well um, and is slowly becoming a pastry chef. He started as our dishwasher, and before that, he was the head of security at the foundry. Wow. You know, he's a 38-year-old former Marine, and um, all his friends who come in are like, it is so funny to me that you turned him into a baker. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's but, awesome. But, but it works. It, huh? Yeah, he has a natural gift for it. And, uh, yeah, I think that's one thing that, you know, with a tough labor market, you know, the one thing that you can do to give yourself uh, kind of a step up is to, you know, really be a learning environment mm-hmm. to be, you know, just, you know, to be human as an employer, I yeah. think, is important. That's um, good advice. You're right. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I think, I think that's why we've had success with the people that we do have. You know, at our first plate, we had very little turnover. And I think with a smaller restaurant, you do get that sense of ownership with your employees that, you know, they're they're there. Loyalty, they're, right? They're, they're loyal and, and, you know, but we fully expect to have more turnover in a larger restaurant. I mean, that's just, I think, I think it's par for the course. Um, you know, I will say, you know, wages are about 30% higher than they were two years ago. And oh, that, wow. that's been yeah. an interesting uh, conundrum here because, you know, to attract top talent, you've got to pay and it's... Um, it's it's a lot, thirty percent higher, sometimes forty percent in key positions. So, that's something that when we did our budgeting, that caught me by surprise. You know, so um, the the standard wage that everybody's talking about, trying to raise the minimum wage, is that? I mean, where are we talking at that thirty percent? Are we getting close to that fifteen dollar an hour mark? Or yeah, I'm over that with some key positions. So if if we're looking at the lead line cook and and things like that, that we're trying to recruit people with experience and knowledge. Um, we're over that. We're over that $15. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, the minimum wage going up to $12 in Missouri in the next couple of years, right, right now we're, we're pretty much at that or over for any hourly employee. Um, whereas two years ago I was paying dishwashers $9. And so, you know, it's really, it's really jumped up, which, which is great. It's, you know, it's a, it's a sign that, you know, things are, you know, moving in the right direction for restaurants. I mean, I read a report that just last week that uh, average American eats out 5.9 times a week. Mm. You know, that's including that's, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And so yeah. that that's pretty staggering. I mean, that's that's a lot. And we thank you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's I. It's so true. Wages have gone up. It's it's pretty tremendous. I mean, last year, I mean, when I volume one. Yeah, dishwashers were nine dollars an hour, and and line cooks were twelve. Now mm-hmm. it's like fourteen to sixteen on the line, and yeah. ten to twelve dollars for dishwashers. Exactly. Yeah, I, I don't pay anybody under twelve dollars an hour. Right. Just, yeah, I mean, except, you know, front of house staff gets sure. tips, but, sure. um, but yeah, it's it's really staggering how much it's changed, and you have to take it into account. You have to raise your prices. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, and but you know that's, um, but it's not it's not it's not a it's not a a wash. You can't raise your prices thirty percent. No, no, so, no. You, you, know, you for take every, a hit on yeah, it for sure. You for know. every few dollars more you pay somebody, you raise your prices fifty cents. You know, because you just you can't. You'll lose customers, and so it, it's a balancing act for sure. Right, and I know one of the things that Calvin's been very proud of is a tasting menu that's really affordable for what yeah. is charged in this city. So, how is that sort of? How does we that st- equation work? So it's at sixty right now. Um, it was at 55, which it had been since volume one. Um, <laughs> I call it the James Beard tax because <laughs> I did it. I was planning on doing it anyway, but just the timing I thought was hilarious. Um, and then, but <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. I Thank like you. It. <laughs> um, the, but the thing that I've gotten creative with is like, if people want to spend money, you have to give them away to. Um, and that's what I was figuring out is like, you know, I'm looking at this table and they each did the tasting with wine pairings. And, you know, it was 55 and 25, so 80 bucks a person. And I know because people would tell me, like, I would spend 150 or $200 here if you had an option to. So I've started to uh, – we've added supplements 
um, to the tasting menu. So, um, you know, your fourth course instead of a crawfish hush puppy is a pan-seared sturgeon. And instead of a chicken roulade, you're getting a squab and you get a nicer cut of beef and all these things. Um, you know, when morel mushrooms come around, we'll have a morel mushroom supplement uh, <laughs> for sure. Um, and then the pairings we offer, we now offer two tiers because we got a Coravin. For those that don't know, a Coravin is a device that um, is a needle that goes in through the cork of the wine and you can pour it and it replaces oxygen with argon so that the wine doesn't go bad. You can, you know, pour wine without it opening the bottle. So we can pull very expensive bottles of wine and sell them for 20 or $25 a glass mm. or pour them on pairings. So now we have standard pairings for 25 and reserve pairings for $75. Um, so it's, it's, it's helped to up our check average a lot. And, um, yeah, and, you know, people, yeah, it's just people want to spend money sometimes when they go out and have the, and, you know. Yeah. be able to offer those nicer experiences. So that was a big learning curve. And it, I mean, I do still take great pride in being a very affordable restaurant. The small plates are all still extremely, and the large plates just all extremely reasonable in my view. Um, and, you know, because we want to be a neighborhood place and that's mm-hmm. part of being sure. somewhere where we, we wanted to cover the range of what people, you know, so that you can come in on a Tuesday night, sit by yourself at the bar have an entree and a glass of wine and go home for, you know, 25 bucks. And we also wanted you to be able to come in on the weekend and do the tasting and, you know, really be able to ball out. And so. feel fancy. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. That's an important balance. And, yeah. and we, we, you know, we've, we're launching a happy hour seven days a week specifically for the neighborhood. And that's from four to six, Monday through Sunday. So, you know, it's a seven day a week happy hour where we do have those options. We're going to have a $5 glass of wine you know, and, and happy hour choices that are, you know, kind of taken from our dinner menu and, and made into more of a happy hour type of, of portion. But uh, it's interesting you talked about the Coravin. We, we're doing something similar in that we're, we bought a, a machine, a wine emotion machine. Yeah, that, those are great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, we are, we're going to be serving a Barolo by the glass and Amarone by the glass. And, and so some of, you know, $25 or $25 glass of Barolo, it's a, $110 bottle or, you know, it's something that, you know, maybe people wouldn't spring for the bottle, but if right. they see that there's an option for a glass and, you know, we're hoping that that, uh, kind of takes off and it's, and it's really stunned me huh. how ready people are to spend 25 or $30 on a glass of wine. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head though. Like if you can't afford the whole bottle, you get yeah. to at least take the adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Well, and yeah. I mean, um, Louis wine dive, um, I go to occasionally because, uh, they have, you know, the chalkboard on the wall with everything that they're pouring. And their whole policy is if you buy two glasses of anything, they'll open a bottle. So, like, you go in there and drink, like, you know, real vintage Burgundy for, you know, 30 or $40 a glass, which for me is, you know, like, I'm so interested in wine. And, I you know, I have a huge part in our wine program. You know, I'm, I'm not going to go out and buy that bottle. It's exactly mm-hmm. like Christian's saying. Uh, so it's just it's a great opportunity to be able to do it. So one one of the uh, one, something that was a little bit bittersweet after our restaurant burned in, in that following month we got the Wine Spectator Award for <laughs> oh that's right <laughs> having one of the most distinguished lists uh, uh, but you know that's something that we we expect to continue and and you know we had a five dollar five dollar glass of wine at our first restaurant we'll have a five dollar glass of wine at, at this restaurant and my biggest thing to people that you know are curious about wine is just drink it. Yeah, <laughs> just just yeah. drink it, and and no one no one's going to compromise the integrity of their list by putting a bad bottle on it. Right, right, right. So just drink it, and and as you become comfortable with entry level Sangiovese or entry level Chiantis, then you can move up, and and you'll feel better about it. That'd be my advice to anybody listening. It's so interesting that you brought up the wine because I was just going to ask that, and that's one of the things I remember very much from the JJ's fire. Of course, you know they yes. had the wine spectator awards and they, you know, like what happened to the wine? You know, can we ever replace all that? I'm taking it that you can go ahead and you can replace it and everybody's going to have good wine at your places now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, with ours, yeah, the majority of our our expensive wine was in the cellar. So it didn't it didn't have any heat damage because the fire was on the roof. And so it was yeah, um it had a lot of water damage and and in in the state of Missouri, you can't resell 
a wine if it has a label damage to it. That's oh. actually against against the law. So I couldn't turn around and sell this Brunello, this 2010 Reserve Brunello that I had because it was streaked with a smoke-glazed water over the label. So we... But the wine was fine. But the wine was fine. Yeah. So, so we, we so had... your personal seller became pretty baller. <laughs> we, we <had> about... We <laughs> had, yeah. Where did the wine go? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we 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 had about 450 bottles of uh, of wine. That, wow. You know, of course, we had to we had to pay it off, and right. you know, with with the proceeds, you know, so we did, you know, get to keep it and and give it as gifts and and just keep it. So, yeah, we do have a baller. So, <laughs> guys, got to hang out together. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, after the accident, I went through and um, it's like it's something that I don't think. Anybody can really imagine like building a list from the ground up, mm-hmm. and especially because when you're opening, you know you're still watching the budget, but you want to start growing your list. So you start buying really small, and your list starts out, you know, with like this tiny little page, and it grows into something you're so proud of. Um, and I and I did all the wine the first time around. I was the you know GM and chef, and uh, and so yeah, it was like so heartbreaking to like go through and inventory my wine because the insurance company wanted to buy it back. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a funny story. So they buy it from me for what I paid for it, minus a couple bottles that I wanted to keep for myself and put in my cellar. Um, and then, but then a few months later, they were like, look, uh, this stuff has just been sitting in storage. And, you know, we thought that we were going to use, they literally were going to use it for a holiday party they were going to have. <laughs> <laughs> And I guess they didn't drink a lot of wine. And they were like, do you want to buy it back for like 10 cents on the dollar? Wow. Oh, yeah. It was vastly exciting. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> it was such a weird – it was it was so weird. It was so weird. They did manage to drink like the stuff I was really excited about, though. It was mostly <laughs> the bottles. stuff I got right. back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, ours basically said – you owe the money on this, and you're responsible for it. So take it or throw it away. We say, yeah. Okay, we'll take it. We'll take it. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh man, you guys such a similar but very different journeys. Yeah. Two Kansas City restaurants. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. Thank My you pleasure. guys. Yeah. So happy to have you guys back. Can't wait to get in. We can't taste wait to the have food you. and wine. Yeah, we, yeah. Some sunchoke soup and some delicious plates at plate. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.